How do we change the discourse? How do we change the conditions for learning so that all kids are seen as at promise rather than at risk? The world has never been changing more rapidly, dislocating the ways we work, learn, and live. On the Learning Future podcast, we discuss the knowledge, skills, and dispositions we all need for our learning future, exploring insights with world-class educators, researchers, policymakers, and leaders from across industries and across the world. Hello, and welcome to the Learning Future podcast. I am, of course, your host, Luca Parry, and today it's my absolute delight to be speaking with Dr. Jean Clinton. Jean is a clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Neurosciences at McMaster University. Uh, She's renowned nationally and internationally as an advocate for children's issues with a special interest in brain development and the crucial role that relationships and connectedness play in our lives. She champions the development of a national comprehensive child wellbeing strategy, including a system of early learning and care for all young children and their families, and is equally committed to ensuring that children's and youth's voices and needs are heard and respected. Dr. Clinton uh, spends her life really translating knowledge and advocating for young people everywhere and recently authored her first book, Love Builds Brains, which can be ordered online through Amazon, Tall Pines Press and in other bookstores everywhere. Jean, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here with you, Luca. We have uh, we have such fond memories of spending our time together when we were in Seattle, and uh, it's a it's a joy for me to be here with you. Well, thank you for joining us on your birthday, no less. Yes. Jane. So yes, happy yes, birthday! Yes, yes. It's fifty all, plus. Fifty plus is that is that how <laughs> yes, it gets articulated yes, from now? Fifty plus, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you've been working for thirty plus years, you know, in, in this youth mental health space, obviously in psychiatry. And I'd love you to share um, across your life of learning in 50 plus, what's something you've been learning recently? Well, you know, um, uh, look, I don't know if you were able to join our friend Jen Adams on the Knowledge Hook um, webinar today. Um, uh, it was a very, Knowledge Hook is a, they, they do just fabulous things. And there was a, a, an amazing presentation by two professors on equity. Mm. And, you know, I, I really learned that, um, uh, that we, need to, we need to be profoundly thinking not of equity as something like let's take a course on and, and let's, uh, let's, um, let's figure out how we can tinker at the edges, but mm. that when we think about equity, and, and I, I really think it's global, we need to think about it in the marrow of our bones Mm. that we really need to be thinking about how equity we need to be thinking from every perspective. Um, we can use data for sure to say, you know, who is, who's being suspended, we, um, um, who is in applied, you know, advanced and, and gifted programs. Mm. But essentially, we need to be thinking about from an implementation science perspective, how do we change the discourse how do we change the conditions for learning so that all kids are seen as at promise rather mm. than at risk? So I, I, it's a, it, was a, it was a profound and wondrous experience today. I love And, you know, part of an ongoing learning for me, for sure. <sighs> well, I, I, I'd love you to talk more about the conditions that are required for success because, of course, as, a, as someone with a, a deep passion and expertise in child development, um, as, a, as a practicing clinical professor and psychiatrist, you know, what, uh, what do we know now about those conditions that really set up 
every human being and every community to be able to thrive. Uh, and, you know, obviously that, that always implicates equity because it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, it's treating all children as whole children, for example, which is a, a wonderful sentiment from Professor Stephanie Jones at Harvard. Yeah, what, what's the big idea, you know, that you've been unpacking, Jean, that, that you'd really yeah. want to share? Yeah, well, you know, I think, I think at the big level, we need to be thinking about, you know, what Bronfenbrenner talked about, the ecological model, uh, which means that we need to think about from the intimate relationship of the child and the family to the child in the school, to the school in the community, to the community in the garden that is the, that is the region, uh, the region to the policy. So we, we really need to be thinking at all, across sectors at all of those all that 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 non-linear, mm. but all important uh, concentric circles, and recognize the, the the bi-directionality of that. So, so what what that really means is that we need to have leadership, profound leadership, that says, "I am in the business of not giving the answers, but developing the reflective practitioners." in everyone that I encounter Mm. so that they're asking themselves, what is the why of the work that we do? And, you know, I think if we, if, we go from, if we go from bus drivers to superintendents and directors of education and policymakers to think about what's the why, and for so much of it, it is how do we create the conditions for all children and families to thrive? Mm. So there's a whole bunch of big ideas all I, in one. I, I love, I mean, I remember when I first encountered the ecological model and it's not something I'd ever really thought about. But I, I do remember mm. Sir Ken Robinson, you know, in some of his wonderful TED Talks that, that changed my own framing as an educator from one around kind of transaction, passionate transaction of ideas to the idea of moving from the mechanistic to the organic metaphor. What are the conditions, the features and this idea really of trying to embody the ecological model uh, because, of course, nothing is really separated. You know, a child's development will be impacted by all the different factors across, you know, uh, their journey in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you look at the research, yeah. when you look at three-year-olds doing well as 15-year-olds uh, from longitudinal studies, um, you have to look at, well, how involved were their dads? Mm. And how involved were they in playing outside? So like, holy cow, you know, we can't just be thinking about the individual interaction. We really need to be thinking about that ecological model. But, you know, what's at the heart of the work that I do, Luca, is, is the relational aspect of it. So what are the relationships within each of those circles of, of interaction. And that's why leadership plays such an incredible role um, mm. in this, the, the creation that the leader has to be, be informed by that how they lead makes a profound difference yeah. on what happens in, the, in, 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 that, in that intimate interaction between the educator and the, and the child. So it's relationships is the heart of the matter. Yeah. I, I'd love you to take us more into that world, Jean, uh, because I think all people working in a human system uh, would realise the importance of relationships and schools and educational settings 
you know, homes, families are all relational settings. I mean, learning, we can strongly argue, is a relational act. You know, it's about understanding relationships between people and ideas. Uh, and of course, what we've learned as well throughout the pandemic is, is just how, how linked well-being is to our sense of, of autonomy and belonging. Uh, you know, how socially connected we are. I mean, one, one reflection that thankfully is slowly changing, although the horse has bolted, is, you know, this, this, this framing of social distancing, which, uh, I mean, from a, from a practitioner, uh, it, it always was physical distancing with social connectedness. In fact, an increase Absolutely. in social connectedness, knowing that not just, it's not just love that builds brains, which is your, your beautiful point, but the manifestation of that love through really deep relationships. So share, share with us, um, from your own standpoint, you know, if you're a parent or you're an educator, how do we focus more on, on the relationships around us and what, what are the qualities of those relationships that we need to pay most attention to, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. attachment or secure attachment, the idea that all of us have experienced differing levels of trauma in our lives already, and I know that you have a deep expertise in uh, being a fellow of the Child Trauma Academy. What, take us into that world a little bit, Jane. What, what should we really be focusing on at this really remarkable moment? Well, I think that what we need to be thinking about, you know, to, to put it as simply as possible and then kind of expand on it, is that we need to, as adults in children's lives, we need to be examining what is our mindset. Do we see ourselves, and, you know, and I, I don't know about in Australia, but here in Canada and the U.S., they're talking lots about learning loss you know, mm. being relevant to, to COVID. Yeah. And, and, and so the question becomes, what's your mindset? Do you see yourself, as Alison Gopnik talks about, as a gardener or as a carpenter? You know, so the, 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 the carpenter thinks of an end product. You know, let's, uh, let's get all of this adult materials that we know kids need to know into them, and I call it stuffing the duck, or periodically right. calling uh, stuffing the frickin' duck. Um, but uh, uh, do we see ourselves as that carpenter that we know how kids are supposed to turn out? Or do we see ourselves as a gardener, creating the conditions as Alfred North Whitehead so many decades ago as an educational theorist talked about creating the conditions where you, the, the kids have the opportunity to show their competence to show the, the ability to co-create their learning with caring adults. And so we really need to think about our mindset. And it's, you know, I've had some very interesting conversations with, uh, you know, big trustee associations and directors of education where there's a tension between, oh, 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 you know, there's so much learning loss, we have to catch them up. But you know what? How the brain works is, first of all, you need to build relationship. First of all, you need to be saying, are you feeling that you belong and that you're connected here? Because the research of affective neuroscience says you really need that relational connection that, you know, you only learn things that you're emotionally connected to. Yeah. And you can't learn them if your brain's on hyper alert with some, you know, some dude is testing me and seeing that I've fallen behind. Well, you know, Ding, my brain is going to go on. I'm not learning here. I'm on high alert. Mm. So relationships are really the heart of the matter, but it's connected to what your mindset is. And so your mindset is created to the relational environment that you create 
in the classroom. And then you start to see kids as individuals. Uh, you start to see kids and you start to see them as needing to create the whole child, not the child that I have in mind that they should be, but mm. all of those wonderful components. And, and so that, that involves social and emotional learning for sure, but it also involves um, thinking about the physical and the spiritual dimensions of kids as well. I, I love that, Jane. I think this idea that we somehow through expedience and I mean I, I would almost say the, the mindset that we've all absorbed through you know the development of our economic models the develop of our kind of our global civilization in some ways is to try to cleave ourselves into all these different parts that therefore can be more easily measured and weighed and understood uh, you know so mm. I mean there's and again our our mutual colleague Michael Fullen with whom you do much work yeah, has been on this podcast twice and speaks about you know, the academic obsession, the way that we've just designed education systems to have a, a primacy of cognitive focus, as Valerie Hannon says. You know, it's like the primacy of the cognitive dominates our lives. We forget about the other dimensions of what make us truly human, the social, mm -hmm. the emotional, the physical and the spiritual. And so it seems to me that if it's not a revolution, we need a significant redesign of... We absolutely do. Yeah, we absolutely do. And, you know, I coined the phrase and uh, this will be the first time in a public domain like this of tyranny of cognitive seduction. Oh, wow. You know, the tyranny of cognitive <laughs> seduction is, you know, we've all been sucked into this vortex uh, that's yeah. related to the behaviorist that's related to, you know, the you know, it's actually related to Sputnik. Um, uh, Alison right. Gopnik talks about Sputnik, you know, the Russians that yeah. got to space before the Americans and it frightened them all. And they said, oh, my goodness, we need to get these learners up to up to up to par. Uh, Alison Gopnik, I love her. I love her work. Um, but, you know, we really need to be thinking about what what Michael talks about is what is the moral purpose of education now? It, it shifted. It's shifted dramatically, and not only is it about, I, I think, about the importance of seeing education as about human development, but it's also about, you know, the why is in this, you know, this VUCA world, this volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous world, mm. we need learners who are going to be able to be competent and resilient, because we don't know how long this uh, this uh, this uncertainty and volatility is is going to go on, and that means that we can't we don't have the answers as adults. We need to trust in the young people as um, uh, being able to lead us lead us forward in mm. in in so many ways in this. Wow, Jane, oh, it's it strikes me that like you know this idea of of the VUCA world, you know, it's just the amount of uncertainty so many of us are holding in our lives right now is, is a recipe for anxiety, frankly. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like it shines a light on the, the, just the necessity for secure attachment, for really stable, trusting, loving relationships in the lives of all of us and particularly young people that might be experiencing increased vulnerability due to some of the situations in the lives that they lead. Can you take us into the world of attachment a little bit? Because I, I feel like it must, you know, to your earlier point, it, it is part of, if not the central tenant, to a life that, uh, like to a, a sound foundation. And I know that you've had a large focus, particularly with, you know, your, 
your advisory of, uh, you know, of the former Premier of Ontario, for example, Minister of Education, you've been having these conversations at that policy level for some time. How, how do we focus on the right kind of early childhood development in particular? Because, you know, that first 1,000 days as the yes. brain is developing, uh, yes. again, from the neurosciences, uh, as they would tell us. What's well, it, yeah, you know, Take us into attachment and early childhood. How, what do we need to pay yeah, attention to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's great. It's great um, to bring this up, Luca. And I, I think one of the things that we need to, we need to be aware of is that um, attachment across the world has some universal concepts. So parenting is different across the world, but attachment is that intimate bond between the child and the parent or the primary caregiver or the allo parents, you know, in, in some communities. And it's so that when the child is distressed or upset or sick, that there is someone who is their go-to person, that there is someone who sees them who sees their inner world and their inner workings, that they feel, they feel safe with that person or in that context of that family or of that, of that unit. You know, I remember visiting Kenya um, and seeing mums passing their babies in the Maasai Mara to each other and the babies just being as comfortable with the other. That's alloparenting. You know, we, we are hunter-gatherers. We're meant to share the parenting. But that, that kind of sense of being seen, of feeling safe, of having security because you know that when you are distressed, somebody's going to reach out to you. So that's, you know, we, we hope that kids have that and that's called secure attachment. It gets created by having positive, responsive, predictable interactions most of the time, not all of the time, you know, being a mum of five and a grandma of six, a nana of six, <laughs> you, you can't be freaking perfect all the time, you know. Yeah. You, if, you, if, you get, if you get it right half of the time, you're amazing. Mm. But it is that responsiveness. And then what we now know in terms of attachment is that kids in childcare, that kids in school absolutely form significant relationships with their teachers. Mm. That, that, that when teachers think about, am I creating the conditions for kids to feel safe, to feel that they belong, to feel that they know what their purpose is in being here, then they, then they just thrive. Mm. But, you know, back to our earlier comments, in order for the teachers to be able to do that, the leadership in the school needs to be creating the conditions for the teachers to feel safe, to feel secure to feel significant um, and, you know, that sense of belonging um, uh, and real purpose. So attachment really is the heart of the matter. You know, you can go into the academics of it, and I love Dan Siegel and how much he digs deep um, uh, uh, into that. But at the heart of the matter is that when we create a caring relationship with the other, we, we expend energy that is picked up by the other, you know, even though mm. we are thousands of miles apart, Luca, yeah. um, as yeah. I look at you and I see your response, I feel it in my right brain that we are simpatico and that, that, that builds and releases neurotransmitters in our brain, reward neurotransmitters that says, hmm, 
this is good, man. This is good, <laughs> and that's that's what we need to see more of in in uh, in, in education and uh, uh, and in parenting. That's just wonderful articulation, Gene, of why attachment matters. I, I I feel like we could talk. You know, I think your example that you give, in some ways, we're now more connected than ever before because of technology, and yet mm. there's still you know there's kind of parallel pandemics here. You know, the the pa- pandemic. Or the epidemic of loneliness, for example, this hyper-connected world where we have many, you know, f- we have many acquaintances and fewer, f- fewer really good friends than ever before. Yes, you know, I think that's an interesting phenomenon for us to kind of focus on. How do you have a view on how technology can kind of unlock connection, but in some ways can also like bring us up to a super- superficial level where we 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 never really form that kind of deep connectedness anymore you know and some of the data that shows that adults today report having fewer friends than kind of in any time mm-hmm. in, previous, in previous history and maybe that's just you know the way the society's shifted as well but yeah, Ooh, we'll but i that. think we have to rage rage against the dying of the light or the night <laughs> um again that in that way so you know again um referring back to bruce perry and and mm. um uh, and dan siegel so yeah. When you're in an, an attachment relationship, you feel felt by the other. You know, you've got, you've got an emotional sense that you get who I am. Emotionally, we have a, you know, a simpatico. Mm. What the problem with technology is that we don't get that. So we have multiple connections, but very little true connectedness. And I think that's where the dilemma lies. I think that's where the dilemma lies, that, that, um, that we, we really need to intentionally be creating the conditions, certainly in our education system, where kids are spending more time together mm. creating that condition of knowledge building together, of, you know, thinking of integrative learning. And, you know, of course, we love uh, Michael uh, Fullen's idea of developing uh, collaboration and communication and critical thinking, all of the, all of the six Cs. Yeah. I, I, I really see that we need to, uh, we must be super intentional about fighting those who are saying technology can do the work and say, no, it can't. We absolutely need to be, we are wired to connect. We are a social species. And so we need to be creating the educational system and the parenting system and, and you know, the community support system that mm. says relationships are the heart of the matter. Feeling felt by the yeah. other is, is really, and you don't get that. You don't get that in the same way. Mm. Um, uh, um, um, uh, through technology. It's just, you know, the the energetic connection with the delay on Zoom, you know, the right-to-right brain just doesn't happen in the same way. I I love some of the people that you've referenced and I'm a big big reader and fan of, you know, Dr. Bruce Perry and Dan Siegel and many others. You know, there's something about, to this point, something about the physical aspect of connectedness, you know, being in a space, you know, the idea of just presence over productivity, which is actually kind of yes. something that Alan Watts, his philosopher, used to speak very much about, you know. And so 
I also reflect on the idea of interbeing. How do you be with others or co-regulation? You know, yes. like, you know the idea that between parent and child or teacher and learner, you are actually co-regulating the entire time. Absolutely. And I think the hypothesis can be it's just more difficult to do that in virtual environments. Um, so I wonder if we can, you know, look into our crystal ball, Gene, um, into kind of this future world and maybe the, you know, the idea that we should visit the future often and there are different scenarios when we look at scenario, um, you know, forecasting or prospection around what education might become. You know, if you were, you know, governor of the world of education um, and you've advised many political leaders in the past, like what would be the main themes and not interventions because I don't, I don't love the kind of interventionist thing, you know, the kind of, the way that we shift the design of the ecosystem itself so that we get some of the outcomes that I think we all want, you know, a, a more human experience of, of learning and education. Um, as Santiago, you know, Gallardo Rincón said, you know, we're moving from the grammar of schooling to the language of learning and that being part of, you know, who we are. As Michael Fullan has said previously as well, you know, how do we liberate downwards and inform upwards, which is the opposite way that many hierarchical systems have been designed. Um, what is the kind of the kind of ecological system that you would build? What would be the features of that? You know, really from pre-birth to pathway, which is something that I learned as well as an, as a school principal previously. You know, because this false separation of well, you're in year four and now you're in year five. You know, the idea of how do you think really holistically about the journey that each of us are on in our lives and certainly within our learning lives. It's a big question. I, I will caveat that. Question, but, big but, question. So you know. Um, so my, my sense is that we need to, you know, and coming from a child psychiatry point of view and my 35 years as a child psychiatrist, my sense is that whatever we do from leaders to, um, um, uh, uh, to, to classroom to educators to, uh, to parents is we need to be thinking about our need for connection, our need to create a sense of belonging so that the conditions for learning are optimized. And in order to do that, so that's, that, that's kind of like the core you know that the, the you know maybe maybe the why I'm not sure, but the, the conditions for learning, and when I say learning in this context, I don't mean just academic learning. I mean what what Michael talks about in terms of being good at learning and being good at life, being able to take on the VUCA world and be resilient. So I see relationships as absolutely the heart of that matter. And so if you think of relationships as the heart of the matter, then you start thinking about the indigenous teachings of, you know, the Maori in New Zealand and the indigenous people of, uh, of Canada who talk about children as the sacred ones, about the pillars of leading a good life. Mm. And so we don't, we don't go with the, oh, the prosperity agenda. We need kids to be good to, so that we have a good economy, but we are really at the heart of the, you know, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the purpose of education and education and the purpose of parenting is not to create these products, mm. but to create the, to create the good life and the ability yeah. to deal with the challenges that come. So I love, 
I love Santiago's world of thinking about education as freedom creating. And to me, it's the freedom creating uh, as an expression of freedom of not fitting into the boxes of here's the curriculum, here are the standards, here's the, you know, the core, all of that kind of crapola is the stuff that's been imposed by others with a, with a different objective of prosperity or, you know, we need these widgets to come out so that they can do this, that, and the other. So mm-hmm. I think I think relationships and actually, you know, like kind of love <laughs> builds brains and the economy <laughs> and the whole nine yards. The whole shebang. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I, I, one of my favorite quotes, Gene, is, comes from Paolo Freire. And he talks about, you know, we must be bold. We must dare to speak of love without feeling unmorkish um, or even unscientific. You know, and I, I'm really, I really ponder that perspective as the great educationalist, you know, pedagogy of the oppressed, because in some ways yes. there's a beautiful parallel with Santiago's work and, and with Paolo's work, which is education is the expression, the expression of freedom and liberation itself. Yes. You know, who, who are, like, and of course... And this is, I think, that we need why we need a transcendent view because it's, it's, otherwise we get stuck in this false dichotomy of, oh, so what you're saying, we should all just have a love in and uh, we, don't, right. we don't want yeah. rigor. No, well, of course, because that's all part, you know, stretching the human mind, which once stretched doesn't need to return to its initial, you know, the idea of playing with our beautiful cognition and, and being inventors and being creators and being leaders. Uh, you know, I, I mean, that's that to me is all, that's, part of a transcendent articulation of of the role of of learning in our lives and then to your previous point i mean in my own journey thus far i've just learned such a phenomenal amount from first nations uh friends colleagues elders uh here in australia in particular and this idea of being a good ancestor is one that you know all seven generation thinking yes rather than well, what is a success for me is to become prosperous within a very narrow frame of what prosperity is, which of course is a financial piece or a status-oriented thing, as opposed to true social prosperity means being deeply connected to a community and a group and passing on one's passion uh, and insights and wisdom you know, rather than you know the knowledge economy, I think we've got to move away from knowledge economy. I, yes, I love. Absolutely. I reflect on the idea. It's yes, knowledge economy. We're in a creative economy or creation economy anyway, but we're in a character world, and that's the world that we need. Is this idea? And character can be a bit flawed because then people say, "Well, you're born with character." No, it can be developed. You know, um, you know, it's who do we want to be collectively? I think is the starting point, and then from that, that new transcendent articulation or deeper articulation, which of course isn't new to anyone that's been living you know with indigenous wisdom mm. for quite some time mm. yeah. So, well, yeah yeah you know the other aspect of it um luca is the 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 indigenous teaching that is you know um, uh, in many in many many countries and in, in um and knowledge ways of uh, you know of knowing is the connection to the land yeah. and the um, uh, and the deep reverence for the land. And, you know, I recently had a marvelous conversation, Michael Fullen and I had, uh, with a dear colleague, Diane Longboat, who is a Mohawk um, elder here uh, near us. And she says that they have a spiritual teaching uh, that children are the medicine holders. 
that they are going to bring us the medicine that there's going that, that there is a new transformation in the universe occurring and that mm-hmm. the children are the medicine holders and keepers okay. and you know she had such an interesting perspective that and I don't know you 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 will be aware but I don't know that all the listeners will be that we've had a terrible legacy in a in Canada of um, uh, children who are taking into residential uh, treatment, not residential um, um, schools. And just recently, there's been the discovery of, you know, thousands of graves of children who died there. And, And Diane's perspective on it was that the children, through us now learning about those deaths, have been the medicine sharers, because now the average Canadian knows about what has happened. Mm. And so in terms of truth and reconciliation, which we're having our first national day tomorrow, in terms of truth and reconciliation, there has been an opportunity for healing through the knowledge of those deaths, which is, you know, I mean, it's just, I'm getting goosebumps again, just, just talking about it, but, you know, children as the ones who are the medicine holders and keepers and sharers, Mm -hmm. I think is a very powerful thought to think of as we move into this VUCA world and that it's children who are going to lead us through this. And we need to be very much changing our, our relationship, our connection to the voices and the agency of, of young people and children and, you know, pay much more attention to that instead yeah. of our adults. We know they <laughs> learn. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, and, you know, a, f- a few episodes previous, Melody Potts was talking about this idea. You know, when we first see each other as friends, you know, like what do we say to each other? Is it like, well, how you, how you doing? What's going on? This, you know, and how some cultures say, are the children well? Yes. You know, as this kind of this way of articulating, um, you know, what really matters. And in some ways it is just about reframing. And then, of course, it's about getting down to the, the policy and the structure of the way we do systems, including schools and organizations, we could say. And then, uh, yeah, and ultimately from there, you know, how that manifests as well in terms of what we design into our curriculum and the way that teaching happens. And mm-hmm. do educators themselves feel empowered and liberated? Or do they also just feel like they are oppressed somewhat by the systems? I mean, if the themes of liberation and agency, you know, and a life of learning and kind of skills for the new economy, even that framing around the social and the emotional dimensions alongside the cognitive, and we can add the physical and the spiritual, i.e. what's your purpose in the world? What do you want to contribute to the world? Which is something that Joanne McEachin talks so beautifully about as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I I feel like that's where we're going uh, conceptually. And so, of course, what we need to see is like how how is that, how are the new education models kind of evolving in that space? And and what a hard-working change makers, advocates, educators and leaders doing already and then how do we further support their work? Um, Jean, I always learn so much from you. I really do. And it's been such a delight to reconnect after a meeting I think in Seattle for the first time some years ago. I would love you to close us out with just, you know, from your 35 years of professional experience as a, as a clinician and, and your 50 plus years as a human being thinking about, you know, the role that you play in trying to translate knowledge and inspire others in in the way that they are and what they do um, as educators, uh, as parents, as young people themselves, as child psychiatrists. What's the take-home message or messages 
because I give you more than one because they're always brilliant that you'd like it to leave us with today? Well, you know, look at, I mean, there are, there are so many things that come to mind. I think the, the, the there are a couple of things that I, I'd like to kind of emphasize and, and, you know, I, I've, I've said it and I think we talked about it that um, my, my, my dream uh, is that every single child will have at least one adult whose eyes light up when they enter the room. And in order to create that, we need to do a major job on what's the mental model of the competence of kids. How can we, how can we do that? Because, you know, some, some, some people think that they're in the business of caring for kids, but the kids don't feel very well cared for. Mm. So we really need to be stirring that up. So how do we create the society where every single child, no matter what, has that sense that, they, that they are felt, that they are felt um, um, by the other. And I think in order, in order to do that, we need to really deeply think about what are the policy, you know, like going up to the, you know, mm -hmm. again, the ecological model, thinking about at the policy level, at the governmental level, you know, when you look at some countries who really value their kids, you know, and I think of Finland, I think of the Netherlands as countries that, you know, have, uh, have terrific outcomes. They have made the prioritization of children and families front, front and center. So how do we, how do we find the, how do we find the, uh, the, the metaphors, you know, as the, as the Frameworks Institute talks about, how do we find the yeah. metaphors that will get people to buy into, you know, raising kids is not just for the parents. It's, it, is, it is a societal responsibility. Anyway, they're, they're, they're some of the things that are top of mind for me. How do you create that ecosystem that, that, that from, the, from, you know, the very broad to the very granular, that each and every single child feels felt no matter. So that means that we create the conditions, um, you know, from an implementation science, the conditions that lead to that are so, are, 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 are so very important. And, and, and in order to do that, I think that we, we really need to have major educational campaigns that say, you know, love truly does build brains. That caring for kids is not just about saying I care, but having expectations that you're going to help them grow, that you're going to you're going to push them um, uh, to to test their boundaries, that you're going to have them experience stress and know that oh man, I did okay with that. I can I can deal with it. Yeah. So you know, there's multi 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 layers. So it's not just about caring for kids when I talk about relationships. It's uh, it's about much more than that. Ah, mm. oh, Jean, it's always a delight to, to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us for the Learning Future podcast today and on your birthday and happy birthday once more. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Luca. Keep up the amazing work. Okay, well do. You too. You too. I love what you're doing. It's so amazing and, uh, and meaningful for, for so many of us across the world. Thanks, Thanks for listening to the Learning Future podcast. To find out more about our work, drop into thelearningfuture.com and follow us at Learning Future on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Here's to building a world of thriving learners together.